Hello, Restored family. This is Tom. I am uh, missing you dearly. Still speaking in front of a camera and to a camera instead of to you physically, but I'm grateful that we get to engage even if it's just like this. I wanted to put in front of you a kind of a reminder of what we are focusing in on and honing in on this season as a church. Uh, we're focusing on three things, prayer, worship, and service. Those are the, the, the primary things we're focusing in on, praying to God, um, like crying out to Him, uh, asking for Him to bring His kingdom in tangible ways, and also spending intentional time listening to the Spirit. Like, God, what are you doing? And how can we be a part? How can, how can we participate in your redemptive work in this way? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Really listening in to the Spirit's direction in this season. And also, um, worshiping Him. Like, in our hearts, ascribing the most worth to Jesus. And praising Him for His goodness, for who He is, for what He's done. We desperately need to keep, or we need to continue to do that as the people of God in this season. And the final thing is just service. Identifying the needs among us as a people and identifying the needs in our city. And then working together to see those needs met in practical ways. So prayer and worship and service is the, the primary things we're focusing in on this season as a church. But I also wanted to put in front of you some additional resources that you may or may not be aware of. The first one, which is really exciting, is uh, we have been blessed as a church. A family in our church has sponsored uh, a subscription for our entire church to Right Now Media. And what Right Now Media is, is it's, think of it like the, the, the Netflix for Bible study and for um, different, um, I don't know, just kind of different video uh, resources. There's amazing things on there for kids. There's obviously amazing things on there for adults that tackling a bunch of different topics and what the Bible has to say about parenting and marriage and sexuality and finances and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So I cannot encourage you enough. You should have already received an email that enables you to sign up through our account. If you haven't received that email, just reach out to us at the church or you can email hello at Restored Temecula and we would love to get you signed up with Right Now Media. It really is, a, it's a really cool, amazing tool that we have access to um, in this season, which obviously many of us are quarantined, living that quarantine life. And instead of just endlessly streaming things that are that aid to us escaping the reality that we're in, we can actually engage with the scriptures in a fresh and uh, a meaningful way through Right Now Media. So I want to put that in front of you as the first thing. And the next thing that I want to draw your attention to is our family of churches, the Restored Family of Churches, actually has a website, uh, restoredtogether.org. And if you go on that website, you'll find a bunch of different resources. There's blogs and there's all kinds of things. But the thing I want to draw your attention to specifically is there's a daily devotional um, that's being put out every single day in this season. Uh, many of you have already told us how encouraging that has been every day. So for those of you guys that, that haven't taken advantage of that, I want to put that in front of you as well. A really, really cool resource to encourage you every single day. And, and the next thing that I'd like to draw your attention to is we have these things called prayer Zoom rooms. Uh, given the climate of the circumstances that we're facing with coronavirus, everything's kind of moved online. And... Honestly, the way that we pray together is, is no different. So we use this platform called Zoom, and it's basically just video chatting. And right now, as a family of churches, we have set up to where you can sign up uh, to, to be part of a prayer Zoom room. And what a prayer Zoom room is, it's basically a group video chat 
from people all throughout our different family of churches. They come together morning, noon, and night, seven days a week to pray, to cry out to God, to listen to God, to encourage each other as we're praying together in the spirit for God's kingdom to come. So I cannot encourage you enough. Uh, If you haven't signed up for one of those, you can do all that through our website. And the final thing is, if you're watching this, you're already probably familiar with the, the Sunday gathering content that we have available virtually now. So every Sunday, uh, the worship team, Mark and the worship team, put together a live uh, worship set, which is really cool. Um, You might be thinking like, oh, this video, this is kind of weird. There's something really unique and special about knowing that it's live and knowing that our church family is engaging together and praising God at the exact same time in each of our households. So there's live worship available every Sunday at 10 a.m. And then there's also a message for you out of this series that we've been going through as a family of churches called Seek First. And this series is all about like how do we as the people of God, how do we as disciples of Jesus, how do we actually follow King Jesus through crisis and uncertainty? So very practical um, but these messages have been really encouraging to me. Last week, I had the privilege of, of preaching a message. This week, um, we have the privilege of hearing from our dear friend and brother, Danny Kimlock. Many of you guys know and love Danny. Uh, he's a very lovable guy. But Danny, he leads Restored Church South Bay in the South Bay of San Diego. And he is a he's a remarkable guy. He's a really gifted shepherd. He, he loves Jesus and just loves the church. Um, he cares for the church in such practical and wonderful ways. Ebony and I actually, and in, in part of the team that moved to Temecula to plant our story Temecula, we spent a season as part of the church in South Bay, Restored Church in South Bay, um, led alongside Danny on eldership with Danny and his wife Monique. And I cannot encourage you enough, Danny's gift is a unique gift. And like I said, he loves the church. So I I have no doubt in my mind that the message that you're about to hear is going to bless you. You're going to encounter his spiritual gifts in a unique way, I'm sure. Um, But like I said, Danny, he's a gifted leader, but he's not like some guest speaker that we're conveniently bringing in. Danny's family. He's a brother. He's an ally. He's a comrade. So without further ado, hope that you enjoy Danny's message. I believe it's going to bless you. Um, Love you guys dearly. Miss you dearly. Take care. Hey, good morning, Restored Church. My name is Danny. I'm one of your pastors here at Restored South Bay. And since we're in the middle of our uh, new series called Seek First, Following Jesus in Crisis and Uncertainty, I just want to take a quick second to say hi to everybody at all the various churches in the Restored Family of Churches. So hi to everybody at Restored Los Angeles, Restored Uptown San Diego, Restored Temecula, Hi, everybody at Harbor City in South Africa, and to everyone at Restore South Bay, I love you guys. And so I just want to say, I see you all. I see you all at home, ladies with your messy buns and fellas with your pajama flannel pants. Um, No worries. I'm wearing that as we speak, and it's totally fine. You'll never know. Um, I also just want to say hi to all of our friends and family that might be watching online from near and far. I know I got some family over in the Philippines from the West Coast to the East Coast here in America. I also want to just say hi to people that are um, in Europe. I have specifically a cousin in London. Her name is Menchu. 
and I just want to say hi. And uh, she's also a nurse, and I hope everything is going well over there at your hospital. And so with that said, I, I can't go on without saying thank you to everybody that is on the front lines of this whole pandemic um, development. Thank you to all of our nurses and our doctors that are sacrificing time, energy, and having to be distant from their own family members to serve other people. I want to say a huge thank you to all of our grocery workers, our food workers, even the delivery people that are uh, working overtime to make sure that all the shelves are stocked. And a special thank you to everybody at Costco, specifically you, Eric Stallone. Thank you for all the toilet paper and spam that you were keeping um, available for everybody. And um, for those of you that are in South Africa, um, our Costco is like your, your major. I, I hear you have stores called major. It's like your, that's like our Costco. Um, they sell stuff at bulk. And to be honest, I've actually been way too nervous to make it out to Costco. Things seem to be like settling down now, but I didn't want to go anywhere near there just because with all the shutdowns, all of the quarantining, things were just feeling a little bit apocalyptic. I just felt like things and people were just feeling and looking tense and frantic. Um, but something really cool actually happened on my street this past week, and I thought it was really encouraging, and it gave me a little bit hope in just humanity, and so I thought I'd share it with you guys. Uh, I was walking over to our mailbox. We live on a dead end or a cul-de-sac, and at the, at the entrance of our cul-de-sac is our mailbox. So I was walking uh, to get our mail, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a bunch of cars were driving by the mailbox and they were honking their horns. It was nuts. I actually thought that maybe I won a million dollar sweepstakes at this point, but a stream of cars um, were rolling by and they had signs on the side of their cars. They had balloons coming out of the windows that were flapping in the wind and um, they had words that were written all over their windows. And all of a sudden... So I didn't win the million dollar sweepstakes. Uh, what this was, was like this own makeshift parade. And this huge family um, paraded down the street and they parked their cars and honked their horns in front of my neighbor's house. And when I looked at the signs that they had made on the side of the cars, and when I looked at what they had written on their windows, it said, happy 70th birthday, Papa. And then when I looked at where Papa was, they opened the, he opened the front door, and there he was, this 70-year-old man, um, beaming. He was smiling ear to ear, and he was waving at everybody. As they, they came out of the cars, they just stood where their cars were parked, and they sang happy birthday in Spanish. They were like, cumpleanos feliz, cumpleanos feliz. And at this point, I'm joining in. I'm wearing, honestly, I was wearing pajamas. It's 2 p.m., and I'm in my slippers and my flannel pants, and I start singing along too. I'm like, Cumpleanos Feliz. And I was overjoyed. I was, I was looking at this guy um, beaming. And in that moment, I just really appreciated it. It wasn't even celebrating me. But in, in, despite how dire the circumstances have been, despite how dark the news has been, I couldn't help but really appreciate all the time and the effort these people had put in to love on my neighbor for his 70th birthday. And today, that's what we're talking about, loving our neighbors. We're going to be diving into this in our series. What does it mean to actually love our neighbors and follow Jesus 
in times of crisis, in uncertainty. And so to do that, uh, we're going to be in Luke 10, uh, verses 27 through 35. But before I dive into God's word, I just want to echo my brother Tom, who said this last week in his sermon. We really can't do anything on our own strength and our own power. And so before um, I dive into God's word, I'm just going to go ahead and pray for us. That's okay. Would you join me? Um, Father God, I just want to thank you so much for today. I thank you for the gift of technology. Um, But most of all, I thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And even though we are all scattered all across the globe right now, we are all listening to the same word, your word. And so, Lord, I just pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, um, would you unite us in you now? Would we actually feel your presence now? Would we be encouraged and strengthened by what you have to say to us this morning? And God, I just pray that you would use me to do that. Um, I know that this, I'm a sinner, and you don't have to use me in my imperfections and my inconsistencies, and you choose to, and so I'm blown away by that. And so, Lord, if there's anything that is not of you here, would it fall on deaf ears and deaf hearts? It's in Jesus' name I pray. The family said, amen. All right. Um, Before I read the passage, though, uh, here's a little bit of context. At this point, Jesus' fame is spreading throughout the whole region. Um, He had just released 72 of his disciples to go out into the surrounding towns, and he told them to do ministry. and And they came back, and they were raving about how they were able to cast out demons and they were preaching the good news and people were responding. And so at this point, um, a lawyer approaches Jesus, this expert in the law, and he comes up to Jesus and he asks him a question. But he wasn't asking him a question because he he wanted to know the answer. It says in the word that he asked Jesus a question to test him, to try to trip him up. But Jesus is so smooth. And instead of answering this guy's question, he answers that question with what? You guessed it, another question. And the thing about Jesus, whenever he asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Whenever we read the Bible, if you ever catch Jesus asking a question, you're going to want to pay extra attention because he's setting the person up. He uses uh, the question as what we call a rhetorical device, a tool that he uses to kind of draw a response out of the person that he's engaging with. And so not only that, um, later you're going to see that he not only asks a question, answers a question with a question, but he goes into a story. And if Jesus starts telling a story to answer a question, you better watch out because it's going to be like a, a spiritual smackdown, if you want to call it that way. So uh, yeah, you want to see what happens? We're, we're going to be in Luke 10, verse 25. Uh, and let's go for it. It says this, Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Just just pause really fast. During this time, every Jewish person would have defined neighbor as anyone that was Jewish, anybody that was like them. So the lawyer was essentially asking Jesus this. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. But just to clarify, though, 
By neighbor, you mean people like us, right? Again, Jesus answers this question not the way he needed to, but the way, or not the way he could have, but he goes into a story. This is the spiritual smackdown I was talking about. Let's go to verse 30. Jesus took up the question and said, So a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive and and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. So what I want to do now is basically address four questions. Why, who, what, and how? Four questions. Why must we love our neighbor? Who are our neighbors? What keeps us from loving our neighbors? And how do I love my neighbors? Let's look at the first question. Why should we love our neighbors? In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus explains at the center of God's heart is that we love him and that we love other people. And with that, the entire law and all of the prophets, basically the entire Old Testament, depends on those two great things. Love God and love other people. So you know what that means? For us, Christians, people that call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we can't claim to love him and not love others. We can't claim to love God and not love our neighbors. It says this in 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 to 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. I don't know if you ever thought this about this, but in virtually every culture, whenever someone is nearing death or is on their deathbed or is at the end of their life, it is an act of love and respect to honor that person's last wishes. Whatever they want, whatever their last wishes are, it's an act of love and respect to carry out whatever they want. In John chapters 13 through 17, we actually get a glimpse of Jesus' last wishes for his disciples moments before he's about to be arrested and crucified on the cross. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 23 through 26. Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. If you notice, in all of these commandments, whether it's in 1 John or in John, there are no caveats, there are no clauses, there's no special conditions. That means 
It doesn't matter how difficult our family is being or our coworkers or our neighbors are. It doesn't matter how crazy life can get. It doesn't matter how stressful a global pandemic can get. We are still called to love our neighbors as an act of love and obedience to God. So at this point, you're probably asking a similar question then, like the lawyer asked. Well, then Jesus, who then is my neighbor? That was the second, this is the second question. Well, let's go back to Luke 10, verse 30. It says this. Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down to Jerusalem, to Jericho, and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. You guys notice what Jesus didn't mention? Nowhere does Jesus indicate where this man is from, what ethnicity he is, or what religious background he has. The reason why it's omitted is because it doesn't matter. Our neighbors are anyone and everyone we come across, especially if it's anyone in need. Anyone we have access to, whether it's face-to-face, it's in our own neighborhood, or it's across the globe, we have a connection to those people through various means, whether it's through the internet or the phone. Our neighbors is anyone and everyone. Um, I don't know if you uh, guys have watched this movie. It came out last year, a movie called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, starring Tom Hanks. Um, I'm going to try to insert a a poster right here. Um, It was a movie basically telling us about the life story of a man named uh, Fred McNeely Rogers. Mr. Rogers. A lot of us grew up uh, here in America watching this guy on TV, on PBS, the public broadcasting system. Is that what it was? Mr. Rogers started a television show for kids called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, I wanted to play a clip of the opening song that played every day for 33 years. This was the opening song. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Don't worry. if you're like, what the heck is that? The, the whole movie wasn't like that at all. Tom Hanks absolutely kills it on the screen playing Mr. Rogers. I totally recommend it. Uh, I believe it's available now if you want to watch it while you're quarantined at home. But warning, you have to have tissues. We did not prepare ourselves for what we watched. I thought it was just going to be like, oh, cool. We're going to learn a little bit about this guy. It ended up feeling like an hour and a half therapy session for like every one of us. There was actually... Um, a lady that was crying so hard in the row in front of us. She was like, and I was like, oh man, 
I, I'm feeling her, but I'm not gonna, I have too much pride to make any noise. But it was so good. After that, after that movie, we actually went back home. We went on Netflix and watched his documentary, which was called uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And through that, through that movie, through that documentary, I just had no idea how big of a champion this guy was for loving people well. I had no idea that he was an accomplished musician, that he was an ordained Christian minister who decided not to go to seminary because it hit him when he was watching television. What's available to children on television was not good, so he wanted to make another option. And so he devoted his life to advocating for kids and creating environments and spaces for kids to actually engage with their emotions. And he addressed really heavy things. He addressed things like war and divorce, depression, death, even bullying. Um, I even remember he would have kids with various disabilities on his show because he wanted to represent and engage kids that nobody else was engaging. He hated injustice. Did you guys know that he was one of the first people on television to actually address racial inequality? At the time of his show, um, America, America was in a place where black people weren't allowed to go into swimming pools uh, and share swimming pools with white people. And so on his show, he brought in his black co-star. And on that episode, he made sure that they shared a pool and talked about it. And they were engaging. His show was called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And for 33 years, they would play that song that I showed you earlier and I wanted to recite those lyrics again at the very end. This is what those lyrics said. I'm going to have to sing this. I think it's the only way I can recite this. <laughs> I'm glad there's only two people in this room right now. It says this. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Would you be my neighbor? In Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, in his world, in our world, we were all neighbors regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of the money we had, no matter where we lived, whether you were able or disabled, we were all neighbors. His song was an invitation asking, we're all neighbors, but are you willing to be mine? Are you willing to see each other as the neighbors we are? You know, I did an interesting set of math in preparation of this message. Did you guys know, here in San Diego County, where Restored Uptown and Restored South Bay are found, we have about 3.3 million people. In San Fernando Valley, where Restored LA is at, you have 1.86 million people. In Temecula Valley slash Riverside County, Restored Temecula sits there with 2.4 million people around them. In Durban, South Africa, you guys have the most. Where Harbor City Church lies, you guys have 3.8 million people. You know what that means? Just within the five churches in the restored family of churches, we have about 11.36 million people in our respective regions around the globe. That's 11.36 million neighbors, 11.36 million souls, 11.36 million opportunities to love God and love people fulfilling what he commanded us. I think that's why I am so excited about what we're doing for Easter. It's a bummer, for sure, that we can't meet physically and gather together. Um, 
but what we're doing can actually have a way bigger impact than I think we're even prepared for, if you really think about it. Um, there's other people, not even just within our, there's other people outside of the Restored Family of Churches that are doing this. We got this idea from churches in, in Los Angeles, and they spread this idea to all other churches. And so the idea is this. Maybe you guys already heard of it um, at your, in the announcements portion earlier, but if you haven't, let me just tell you what we're doing. We're asking all of our members to make 60-second videos of their telling their story of how Jesus has changed their life. And then use the hashtag, Jesus changed my life, and use at Restored South Bay, at Restored LA, whatever your church's handle is. And then on April 6th, starting tomorrow, and throughout this whole week, we want you guys to post those videos. Can you imagine, of, I think, and I asked Andy, how many people do we have at all of our, uh, all of our churches, in Restored Family Churches? He said, just under 1,000. Can you imagine, starting tomorrow throughout until Easter Sunday, all of us post um, videos on our social media, Facebook, Instagram. I'm not on TikTok, but if you can do it on TikTok, do it. But people are already on their phones. People are already stuck at home on their social media. And imagine if they got to see your story about how Jesus changed your life. And they click on the hashtag, Jesus changed my life. And they hear hundreds, maybe even thousands of people sharing their stories under that same hashtag of how Jesus changed their life. I can't think of a greater way this week to love our neighbors other than actually introducing them to Jesus. Amen? Let, but let's, let's be honest. There's some tension here, isn't there? Some of you are like really excited. Like I, hopefully I explain that in such a way that you're like, yeah, let's do this, right? But I know for a fact there's probably a lot of you that are super nervous about doing that. You're thinking, what? Share my testimony on Instagram or on Facebook. What will people think? Practically speaking, can I just say this? I think the world could use a break from all of the COVID-19 articles and reposts. I think you're going to be okay if nobody sees what you ate for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Okay? I think people will be all right if they missed a post or two about how crazy or awesome your kids are, your latest selfie, or your outfit of the day. It's fine. You can pick it up maybe next week. (laughs) But spiritually speaking, I believe the Bible actually reveals the heart behind our discomfort. The Bible reveals the heart behind that tension you might be feeling, especially when it comes to sharing your faith, let alone exercising your faith in love. Which brings us to the third question I posed. What keeps us from loving our neighbor? Let's see how Jesus addresses this. Let's go back to Luke uh, 10. Let's go back to Luke uh, Luke 10, verse 30. Start there again. Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, and leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. I'm just going to give kind of like a short, short answer and then I'm going to unpack it. The short answer for what keeps us from loving our neighbor is this. It's sin. Our sin makes us selfish instead of others-oriented. Our sin makes us self-centered instead of others-centered. Our sin makes us self-serving instead of others-serving. 
Pastor and author J.D. Greer in his sermon regarding this very passage unpacks this idea saying that our sin can actually manifest in at least two possible ways. The first one is this. One potential way our sin can manifest as selfishness is in our lack of margin. John Mark Comer says this in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He writes this. Corey Ten Boom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. There's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. Hurry and love are incompatible. The idea is that we become so busy, so preoccupied, so hurried, that we simply have no room in our finances, in our physical, emotional, mental capacities, and in our calendars to love God or to love people well. So if you go back to the story we just read, what if, what if the priests and the Levite were so busy with what they had to do, they were so preoccupied with their agendas, they were so hurried to get where they were going, they simply had no margin to care for that man on the side of the road. But you're probably thinking, because I know I thought this, yeah, but he's a priest. He represents and serves God. He is a Levite, meaning he serves in the church. He should know better. The priest should know better. But before we think that, we have to ask ourselves, do we know better? As Christians, we also represent and serve God too. As followers of Jesus, we are called to serve the church too. So the question becomes for us, where can we leave margin in our calendars, in our finances, in our capacities to love people, especially when they are in need? But you know what, guys? The truth is God has graciously been growing us in this area. I was so encouraged the last few weeks to hear stories about how so many of you have been responding to the needs that are arising in our church communities since COVID-19 has taken a hold of our entire world. There are countless stories across all five of our churches of people supplying practical necessities like food and diapers, milk, formula, unemployment needs. People are doing grocery drop-offs for the elderly and those that have high-risk immunity systems. And you know what's cool? We're not actually original in this. In fact, all of our efforts only echo the actions of early believers who have gone before us in times of their plagues, their famines, their crises. This happened in Act 2. You see that everybody sold whatever was necessary and shared everything they had so that no one was ever in need. And then throughout history, historians Um, have recorded, even during the Roman Empire, that it was the masses of Christians during epidemics and plagues. It was the Christian community that would stick around and nurse and care for the dying, while their secular or pagan relatives and friends and neighbors would flee the scene, leaving their own loved ones on the side, dying. It was the Christians who stayed and cared for them. But here's the thing about those moments in history. Those in need made their needs known. And I think most of the time, especially back then, it was pretty obvious who was in need. Disease and poverty and brokenness were easily identified. But I think today, if we're being honest, I'm afraid we've gotten really good at hiding our needs. 
I think a lot of us are too embarrassed to ask for help. I think for some of us, we're too afraid of being a burden. Or maybe we convince ourselves that we don't deserve help because there's other people that need like assistance. So I don't, I don't want to take away. Whatever the case may be, it drives down to this. Fear. Fear can really become an obstacle from two things. From either receiving love or receiving love from other people or actually giving love to our neighbors. Which brings me to the, the next question or the next um, way that J.D. Greer points out how sin can manifest itself selfishly. The other potential way our sin can manifest as selfishness is in our fears. This is the primary reason that I think the priest and the Levite passed the beaten man on the side of the road. Because here's why. The distance between Jerusalem and Jericho was about 17 miles. There was only one main road between the two cities. And that road was pretty well known for being super dangerous because it was on a steep descent. And it was down a winding, rugged terrain. It made it really easy for robbers to hide and attack travelers. So when they saw this naked and beaten and bloody man on the side of the road, they were probably and highly likely too scared to stop. Probably thinking, what if the robbers are still nearby? What if this is a trap? What if the robbers are hoping that they stop and help this guy? And they probably were suspicious of the man himself on the side of the road. What if this man is pretending and he's a robber? You know, I got to listen in preparation for this talk. I listened to Martin Luther King Jr.'s last sermon the night before he was assassinated. And in his last sermon, he preached on this very same passage. And in his sermon, he pointed out this. The religious leaders were so overwhelmed with fear that all they thought about was themselves. What if I'm beaten and I'm robbed too? What if I'm killed? What will happen to me if I help him, is what they probably thought. Then he points out, but the Samaritan was so overwhelmed, not by fear, but by compassion, that he didn't think, what will happen to me if I help him? But he thought, what will happen to him if I don't? Look at Luke 10, verse 33. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. By purposely making the Samaritan the good and loving character and making the Jewish leaders the bad and unloving characters, Jesus was beautifully demonstrating what it means to truly love your neighbor. Firstly, he he points this out. Loving your neighbor means you truly see your neighbor. Loving your neighbor means you truly see your neighbor. The Bible points out in the passage that we just read, all three of the characters saw this man, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. All three saw him, but only one saw him as a human being, as a person, as somebody in great need. Only the Samaritan saw him as a neighbor, not just some dangerous liability or inconvenience or burden. So this parable begs the question, even for us, what do we see when we look at people that are around us? Do we see more than just what's the surface? Or do we see them for who they are underneath? 
Secondly, what does loving your neighbor look like? Loving your neighbor requires actions, even if it requires great sacrifice to yourself. I just want to say congratulations to the woman in Harbor City Church who just had a baby during this whole pandemic lockdown. But I want to say a special shout out and thank you to that woman's life group leaders who gave that woman and her husband a ride to the hospital that you've been helping to care for them since that baby's been born. And you even threw them a baby shower in the midst of all this chaos. I want to praise God for the crazy amount of financial resources that Restored Uptown has collected to help those that have been dramatically and drastically affected financially by COVID-19. See, loving our neighbors can and will sometimes require sacrifice. What does that look like for you? Maybe that means sacrificing your sense of comfort for that one-minute video we're asking people to, to post. Maybe that means that you can't buy that luxurious item or that experience anytime soon because you're going to help somebody pay their rent this month. Or maybe that means that you get to invest more time and effort over a Zoom call to do counseling for somebody that's in, in dire need right now for a friend. What might God be asking you to sacrifice today in order to love your neighbor? This is how Jesus ends the parable that we've been reading. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Go and do the same, Jesus says. Which brings me to our last question for today. How can I love my neighbors like that? You know, I think a common mistake that we make when we read this passage is that we might be thinking, all right, what's the lesson here? The lesson is we got to be like the Good Samaritan. We can't be like those bad religious people. We got to be compassionate, don't discriminate, and serve sacrificially. Got it. Although that might be good stuff, and maybe that's partly true, at the end of the day, just having a better attitude and like an unselfish perspective only lasts for so long. I think Jesus was illustrating something deeper, something that would actually empower us from the inside out to actually love our neighbors the way he loves us. And that's what he does. That's what he's doing in this story. He's illustrating the gospel. He's illustrating how Jesus has loved us. I mean, we might confess that, yeah, I'm like the Levite. I'm like the priest sometimes. Or we might be like, man, I want to be like the good Samaritan. But the truth behind this parable is that we're not those characters. We are the helpless and broken man on the side of the road. And it's Jesus who's the hero. It's Jesus who becomes the good Samaritan. Look at, the, look at what happens here. Just like the Samaritan was despised by all Jewish people, Jesus became despised. He became hate, hated and marginalized and ridiculed, so much so that the priests and the religious leaders hated him and did everything that they could to get rid of him. Just like the Samaritan saw the man on the side of the road, saw him as a human being, Jesus saw us, you and me, wherever we were before we knew him. And he saw that we were vulnerable and we were hurting and we were unable to save ourselves. And you know what? He had compassion for us. So much so that he decided to trade places with us. 
And he was the one that became naked and beaten and bloody, not on the side of the road, but on the cross. The Bible says the Samaritan used bandages and olive oil and wine to heal the man's wounds. Wine often represented Jesus' blood. Olive oil represents the Holy Spirit, which Jesus uses both the Holy Spirit and his blood to heal us from the inside out and bring us restoration. It says here, the Samaritan put that man on a donkey so that he could live. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey so that he could die. Then at the end of the passage, it says the Samaritan pays the man's current debts and promised to pay any future debts he, may, he has. Jesus paid all of our debts, past, present, and future, with his blood shed on the cross. So the question was, how can we love our neighbors? By continually remembering how Jesus has loved us so that we can go and do the same. That kind of love reorients us and it changes us from self-preservation to God-glorification, from self-serving to other-serving, even in the face of a global viral crisis. We, the church, are called to love others as He has loved us. Before I pray, I was thinking about how the very first time I realized that we are called to love other people the way that Jesus has loved us. I was in college and I was attending this massive church and um, our church was meeting on my college campus. And at the time, I'd been going to church by myself for about a year. And I was about 40 minutes early to church service, which I didn't mind. It was a good time for me to like dive into my Bible or journal. And so I, I enter this giant auditorium. It had about 1,500 seats. And I go down the aisle and I pick one right on the aisle because I hate sitting in the middle. Like I, it just makes me claustrophobic. So I'd always pick an aisle seat. And it wasn't too close to the front. It wasn't too far in the back. It was exactly where I wanted to be. And I was reading my Bible. And all of a sudden, I hear this like humming sound. Like, mm, and it was getting like, it was faint at first. And it was getting louder. So I look over my shoulder. And it's a young girl that's in a wheelchair, a motorized wheelchair. And she's coming down the aisle. So I just like look forward. I look back down to my Bible. And if that sound is getting so loud. I'm thinking, oh, okay. So she's coming down the aisle. She has ample choices, but guess where she chooses to park her wheelchair? Right next to me. And I'm thinking, of course, I'm like, out of all the places in this empty auditorium, she chooses to sit next to me. Of course, I fully engage and choose myself, and we got to talk. We talked that entire 40 minutes before church started. And so as service was going on, I noticed that she had um, difficulty with her fine motor skills. Um, whenever she would turn a page in her Bible, it was like super, super loud. Um, she, when she would ever get something out of a plastic bag in the, behind her seat, that was even louder. And at this point, um, we're like best friends, right? And so people kept looking behind us, like looking behind themselves, and they would look at us. And I'm like, turn around, turn around, mind your business, because I'm like, we're friends now. Like we're best friends now at this point. And at the very end of service, um, it happened to be the first Sunday, and that means that we would take communion together. And she asked me, hey, Danny, do you mind uh, holding the bread and the juice for me? And I'm like, yeah, of course. So I'm holding each, and it got to the point where we we're about to eat the bread, and I was about to hand it to her, and she said, hey, Danny, actually, could you feed me? 
And I thought this was so awkward. I was like, oh God, oh, oh God. <laughs> and so I did the most awkward way because I was scared of like touching her like tongue. So I went, there you go, there you go. Good, good. <laughs> and so she was like, yep, thank you. And when it got to the juice, um, she said the same thing. Danny, do you mind feeding me the juice? And so I poured hers and then I took, the, took mine. Then we bowed our heads to pray. And in that short amount of time of praying, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. That he was showing me, hey, Danny, do you realize what you just did for her? It's the same thing that I've done for you. Yeah, she might be physically disabled, but you've been spiritually disabled most of your life. And I'm the one who fed you in such a way that now that you'll never go hungry. Do you realize, yeah, she might be paralyzed to that chair, but you and your friends and there's people in your family that are spiritually paralyzed. And so I, I realized in that moment, he, was, he asked me something. He's like, Danny, I want you to do what I've done for you. The same thing that you've done for her is to go out and love people, to feed them the gospel, to give them reminders of my body that was broken, my blood that was shed for them so they could have eternal life. And in that moment, it was almost something, like I realized I had been going to church, but I had separated the first commandment and the second commandment. I thought all that mattered was me going to heaven, that I didn't have to go to hell. But me loving God meant that I had to love people well. And so I don't know what that means for you. What does it look like for you to love God by loving people? To love people means you're loving God. Um, What might be getting in the way of that? Is it fear? Is it the lack of margin? Maybe you're the one that needs to be loved on. What is keeping you from asking for help? With those questions, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. And then right after that, you're going to go into your respective gospel communities or your life groups and hopefully engage in some worship and pray together. Jesus, thank you for the ways that you have loved us well, that you loved us even while we were your enemies, but now you call us friends. God, thank you that you saw us on the side of the road, but you didn't just see us for our mistakes, our insecurities, our inconsistencies, or our sins. You saw us as people that needed a Savior. And so, God, ultimately we do thank you that you loved us enough to actually trade places, that you became beaten and bloody and broken, not on Sandra, but on the cross, so that we would live. And so, Lord, I just pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you empower us to love other people as we do our best to love you? Would you remind us of the gospel, especially in times of difficulty and crisis, where we might forget what that might mean and what that could look like? And God, I just pray for all of our neighbors that are in need, that are suffering. God, would you give us the spiritual eyes and ears to hear and see where we could fulfill those needs. And so God, I pray that you would be glorified today. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.